0: Well, if you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to go to uh, the Gospel of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Um, you can pull out your, your cellular mobile. Uh, you could uh, pull out your tablet. Um, but we're going to spend time this morning in uh, John 11. And uh, I hope um, you don't have lunch plans today because we've got 45 verses to cover this morning. and so. Football season's over, right? I figure we could just kind of spend time together uh, this afternoon going through the book this morning, uh, through the Gospel of John. In fact, you notice that I'm sitting down because I don't think I can stand that long and uh, our ushers have locked the doors. We've got lots of treats back there. Keep in mind there's limited number of restrooms. So if you feel like you might need to use the restroom, um, just form a line in the back and uh, you'll eventually get there. But. I'm so glad uh, that each of you are here this morning as we go through uh, this uh, great story. 45 verses. I hope you all had your Wheaties and your coffee and your Gatorade and whatever it takes this morning for us to get through uh, John 11 Uh, beginning with verse 1. As Jeff said, we are um, today closing, finishing up a sermon series. Over the past six weeks, we've been looking at the the various miracles of uh, Jesus as recorded uh, by the apostle John. John was an eyewitness. Uh, He had a front row seat over the three-year journey of spending time with Jesus. And so John wrote this, this gospel. He was an old man by the time he wrote this gospel. And he's looking back over his life, and he shares with us, hey, you know, when I was a young guy, when I had hair, I was out, you know, minding my father's uh, business with my brothers, just doing what we do. We were fishermen. And all of a sudden, along comes this uh, young rabbi by the name of Jesus, and he says, follow me. And so John said, that's what I did, is I followed Jesus around for weeks and months and years, and I got to hear these remarkable teachings uh, that I'd never heard before, that nobody had ever heard before. And not only did Jesus teach these extraordinary things, but he actually did some things. He performed some miracles. And John said he did so much. I, I couldn't even write about everything Uh, But I just want to give you these seven different miracles that Jesus performed to back up his words. He claimed to be the son of God. He said that over and over and over that he was the son of God. And then he gave us these miracles, not as miracles in and of themselves, just so we could look and see and go, wow, and be dazzled. But John says, Jesus did these miracles, these signs that actually pointed to, they were evidence, they were testimony that he was who he said he was. And John says, after all is said and done, I believe. I believe. I saw the miracles and I believe that Jesus was who he said he was, that he is the son of God. And Jesus told us that it, that's, it's, it's, it's wonderful to know and to believe, but it's so much more than believing, but it's actually putting our trust, our belief. It's not just believing, but it's actually stepping out and living and believing uh, that Jesus was the son of God. He says, when, when we do that, we can experience lots and lots of goodness in our lives. We can experience healing and restoration. We can experience wholeness. And John says you can actually experience true and abundant life. And John writes about these seven different miracles. And this morning we're going to look at the miracle, the sign of Jesus bringing a dead man back to life, the story of of Lazarus. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today, for the beautiful sunshine, for your people gathered together in this place. We thank you, God, for yet another sign that we get to unpack together this morning. And so, Lord, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. John 11, this is how it began. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Now, Bethany today is a suburb of Jerusalem. It's less than two miles outside of the downtown Jerusalem area. And you might remember the story of Mary and Martha. Remember those two uh, sisters? Martha was the busybody. And Mary uh, was the one who sat at Jesus' feet. And they had another brother, uh, Lazarus, and they were good friends. So this is a story not about, you know, a random blind person or a random person who comes up and needs healing. But there's there's an actual connection here. Whenever Jesus would go to Jerusalem, to this area, uh, to Bethany, he would spend time in their home. They would share meals together. They were friends. It was like uh, extended family uh, together. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped her, his feet with her hair. So the sisters uh, sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now imagine, you've got such a relationship with Jesus. Somebody comes up to Jesus and says, the one you love is sick. I mean, that's how close Jesus and Lazarus were. She didn't even need to say his name. Hey, Lazarus is sick. She said, the one you love. I mean, they were close. This was a very uh, familial, uh, close, loving, deep relationship and friendship. And Jesus' friend is ill. He is sick. In fact, he is very, very ill. Verse 4, when Jesus heard this, he said, the sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, we talked a little bit about this last week. And Jeff talked about it as we opened our service this morning, that when in the midst of pain and suffering and sickness, it's oftentimes difficult to see how that can be for God's glory, Right? Because when we're sick, when we're struggling, when we're suffering, when we're going through a hard time, that's the time when it's just like, God, where are you? I don't see where you're at. And I certainly don't see what I'm going through right now is for your glory. It just seems like it's a load of garbage. It seems like it's a load of dirt. It seems like it's a load of suffering and struggle. And just out of the gate, Jesus seems kind of really callous, right? Not very pastoral. If I show up at the hospital to come visit you and and you're really sick, and I'm like, hey, it's okay. It's for God's glory what you're going through, right? I mean, Mary and Martha are probably going, are you kidding me? This is awful. And Jesus says, don't worry about it. I've got a plan. Everybody calm down. Verse 5. And I love this detail that John shares with us. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And I don't think this is an insignificant detail, because if he doesn't write this, we might not necessarily know. We might just think that he's some guy, this Lazarus and and these, these women. But there's this loving relationship uh, that Jesus has got going on, and as we go through this story, you're going to see this over and over and over. This this love, this connection, uh, this incredible uh, deep relationship that Jesus has uh, with these folks. Verse six. So when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And you're thinking to yourself, "Come on, Jesus." really? Lazarus is sick. How could it be that you would wait two more days? And it seems pretty insensitive and uncaring, doesn't it? That Jesus would just wait two more days. I mean, if you had an emergency at your house, somebody was sick, somebody was dying. How would you feel if you dialed 911 and the dispatcher's like, yeah, well, it's it's Friday. Right? And uh, we got stuff going on. We'll be there by Monday with the ambulance. Hang on, right? You wouldn't be okay with that, right? I mean, remember, Jesus is the guy who heals complete strangers. What's his deal? That he can't even immediately go to his friends. There's an emergency, there's a crisis. And it says that Jesus waited a couple more days, which I think ought to remind us that God's timing is not our timing, right? Oftentimes my kids will say to me, dad, you drive like an old man, to which I tell them I am an old man. But it's true. I, you know, when I'm going from point A to point B during the week or when I'm going somewhere, I am rarely in a hurry. And I just, I just feel like Jesus was not in a hurry. You know, the, the rest of the world is setting off all the alarm bells. Crisis! come on, Jesus, show up. And Jesus is like, I'll get there when I get there, right? And I don't know why we think if Jesus is not in a hurry in the middle of a crisis, why we need to just be sounding all the bells and whistles. God's timing is perfect. I know in the moment it's just like, God, where are you? Show up. But later on, oftentimes, we can look back and go, oh, yeah, he was there. He was right on time, right? Jesus waited two more days. And then he, verse 7, and then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, uh, a short while ago, the Jews there, uh, let's see. Yes, the, the Jews back there tried to stone you. And yet you want to go back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 days of daylight, hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. Now, Of course, in this, in this teaching here, Jesus is speaking very metaphorically. He's, they know that there's 12 hours of daylight, 12 hours of night. But he's not talking about a literal daylight and literal night. He's talking metaphorically, saying, hey, it's daytime. Nighttime is coming. Darkness is coming. Metaphor, death is coming. But death is not here yet. It's still daylight. Remember, Jesus says he is the light of the world. And as long as the light of the world is here, we need to pay attention to sit up and to look to the light of the world. Because death is coming for us all. You know that. Last time I checked, the, the, the mortality rate in America is still 100%. Death is coming for us all. And Jesus says, I'm with you. I've got work to do. We've got to keep going. But the disciples, uh, they don't want to keep going. And I think one of the other things that Jesus is talking about here anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It's when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. And this, of course, is the great truth that when we walk with Jesus, he will guide our paths and he will help us to not stumble. And this teaching here reminds us that the world who's turned their backs on Jesus is stumbling and falling because they're in the darkness. And I think one of the great tragedies of our day and time is that we have so many things to distract us from the light, from our hurt, our pain, our struggle. Right When we're going through a difficult time in our lives, it's so easy to be distracted by so many things. Activities, we can be busy all day long, right? So we never have to deal with our stuff. Or what many people do is they're busy with, with chemicals, all sorts of different things, and so we consume things to numb the pain. We live in a day and a time where we can just go from activity after activity after chemical after activity so that we hardly even feel the pain. I mean, we are so good at self-medicating, aren't we? We're so good at self-medicating. And so at what point in time... Do we truly feel the pain, the hurt, and the struggle? We continue to stumble in the darkness, those who are away from Jesus. Verse 11. After he said this, he went went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then Jesus had to say to his disciples very plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Now, a little bit ago, Jesus said, Lazarus isn't going to die, right? Remember that? He waited two days. He's like, he's not going to die. And then he says, Lazarus is dead. And the disciples must have been so confused. What is going on? This doesn't make any sense. So the drama is building and the confusion uh, is building with what's uh, going on here. Verse 16. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Jesus not only missed like the embalming and preparation of the body, he missed the entire funeral. Four days Lazarus has been dead. Verse 18, now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. Now this is a great part of the story. And this is a story about the church. In the midst of heartache and struggle and grief, the church shows up. And you know, we can say and, and criticize the church all day long for the problems in the life of the church, but oftentimes the church is at her best when there is a crisis, when there is a moment where people are hurting and struggling. And I got to say, over the past two and a half years here at Faith, as I have uh, witnessed and watched some of you going through some hard times, it's just been amazing and beautiful to watch the church come together time after time to bring comfort and healing. And this is why you need the church. You know, more and more, um, when I sit down with families uh, to talk about uh, funeral preparation, someone's died. I'll go to their house. Hey, what? You know, we'll start to. uh, I'll say, Hey, let's let's plan a service. They're like, Oh, mom didn't want a funeral. Oh, dad didn't want a service. And I always have to look at the kids or some family member and say, It's not for them right? They're gone. They're not here. A funeral is for the living. It's for those of us who have been left behind. It's for those of us who need to mourn and grieve together. It's so important for us as a community to gather together when there's a crisis. And this is why you need the church. You need to have relationships in the church because there's going to come a moment in time when you need the church. And when you need the church, the church is going to want to show up at your place. And this is a beautiful story of the church gathering together uh, at this funeral to bring comfort in the loss of their brother. Verse 20. When Martha, remember Martha, busybody Martha, heard that Jesus was coming. She went out to meet him. Martha couldn't just stay and wait for Jesus to come, right? She had to get up out of her seat and go. That's just what Martha did. She was always moving. She went out to meet him. But Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Martha gives Jesus the business, right? But I know that even now, God, uh, even now, God will give you whatever you Ask. Martha has this incredible moment of just confusion and frustration. I mean, have you ever just shaken your fist at God? God, if you had been here, God, where were you? But God, I know you can still do something. Mar- Martha has this incredible moment of just at the same time, Oh God, where are you? If you had been here, things would have been better. But God, I know you can still do something. This story reminds me of uh, Mark 9. Remember the guy who yells, I believe, help my unbelief. Remember that story? That's what Martha, she's kind of having this mixed emotion filled with, ah, I'm so mad at God. God, give me faith, give me hope, I still believe. And so there's lots and lots of emotion and drama going on here uh, with Martha. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. Now here's what you need to know. Uh, Martha thinks Jesus is just being a preacher, right? Mm -hmm. He's not really doing good pastoral care right now. So her brother has just died. And rather than Jesus going, Martha, I'm so sorry with what's gone on in your life. He looks at her and says, your brother will rise again, which if you go to a funeral and um, I don't recommend those words to anyone, right? To say to someone, because in that moment, those can be really heartless, careless words. Jesus is speaking these words to Martha, and she's thinking, Oh, Jesus, he should be all pastoral, but he's gone all theological on me. In in Jewish culture, how they understood the resurrection, they had no concept of individuals rising from the grave. They believed they were taught that on the last day that the entire Jewish community would be risen from the grave. And Martha thinks that Jesus is just teaching uh, what she already knew, that on the last day uh, that Lazarus, with all the Jewish people, they would rise from the grave. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know he'll rise again. In the resurrection at the last day. Now here's the point in the story that you need to lean forward a little bit and pay attention. If you've been kind of sleeping, if you've been kind of tuning out, uh, if you've been um, thinking about what you're going to have for lunch today, I need you to kind of come back at this point in time in the sermon. Because this is the crux of the story. This is the crux of of this miracle. This is the crux of all seven miracles. This is the crux of the Gospel of John. This is the crux of the entire New Testament. What Jesus is about to say, because what he says next is absolutely critical uh, for, for Martha and for us and for all people to hear. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection in the life. Martha, I'm not talking about the end times when all the Jewish people will rise from the grave. I'm talking about right here, right now. I am the resurrection, personified. You are looking at God. Right? And Martha doesn't have a category for this. This is brand new. This is brand new for Martha, and she's thinking to herself, what in the world is going on? Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, not some, somewhere far off in the distance, right here, right now. Jesus says, I am, am God. Uh, we are together, right here, right now. This is what I'm talking about. And then he goes on and explains what he's saying. The one who believes in me will live forever, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Jesus says there's two, two options here. The one who is in me will live forever. The one who is not in me will not live with me forever. That's significant. It's that important. Jesus says, I am the only way. And if you are in me, if you and I are connected, if you believe in me, if you trust in me, you can have eternal life with me. And then he looks at Martha and says, do you believe? And that of the course is the question for us this morning is do you believe? Jesus said it's that important. That's what's at stake here, is placing your trust in me is how you will spend your eternal life. Verse 27. Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And after she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up and quickly went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha went to meet him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her. Supposing she was going out to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, now Mary's given Jesus the business. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and, uh, and the Jews who had come along to see her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then it says in verse 35, Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in the entire Bible. Jesus wept. We have to ask ourselves, why did Jesus weep? Why did he weep? You know, we know that Jesus showed up because he was going to do something. And, and many of you know the end of this story, right? Spoiler alert. He's going to raise Lazarus from the grave, right? So if Jesus knows in advance that he's going to raise Lazarus from the grave, he shows up to this funeral uh, that's several days old now, and he sits down, everybody's distraught, everybody's upset, and Jesus wept. Why in the world did Jesus weep? Why didn't he just say, no, wait a second, time out. I'm going to fix everything. He didn't do that. He sat down and he wept. Why did Jesus do that? I think it's an important detail of the story. I think the reason why Jesus wept is because he loved Lazarus, he loved Mary, he loved Martha. See, oftentimes we have this view of God as being like Dr. Spock in Star Trek. Any Trekkies here? You know, no emotion. That wasn't Jesus. That isn't Jesus. He loves deeply and profoundly, and he's in relationship with his people. Jesus loves you. He loves you and cares for you. And when you're going through a hard time, through a difficult struggle, emotionally he's right there with you. When your heart is broken, Jesus' heart is broken. Isn't that amazing? I mean, that's the God that we worship, the God that we serve. Not someone far off, way off in the distance, but someone who's close, who loves us, who cares for us, who comforts us, who feels with us our struggles and pain. I think that's really good news. Jesus wept because he loved his people. Verse 36. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, now now the, bit, uh, the crowd is going to give Jesus the business. But some of them said, see, uh, uh, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind kept this man from dying? Again, there's just this uh, lots of emotion, sadness, and anger all rolled in one. Jesus once more deeply moved. Again, just Jesus' is, his heart is just full. Came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he's been there four days. If you've got the King James Version, it says he stinketh, right? (laughs) A bad odor. The body is decaying. This is nasty. Jesus are you sure you want to roll the stone away? It's going to be awful, the smell. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, uh, that you be- did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? He says this time and time again. So they took the stone away. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I knew that you have always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, isn't it interesting that Jesus um, says a a prayer out loud and has kind of this conversation with God? Why does he do that? Why doesn't Jesus just pray to God silently? But he says, hey, God, you and I are always talking, but I'm going to say this prayer so that everybody around us can hear this prayer and see what's going on. And oftentimes, we think to ourselves, well, God knows my thoughts. God knows what uh, I say to him in the quiet and comfort of my own home. But sometimes, we need to pray out loud in front of other people, because some people need a demonstration of what a relationship with God looks like. Sometimes people might come up to you and say, hey, would you pray for me about whatever this, that, or the other thing is going on? And you're like, yep, I'll pray for you. See you later. And you go home and you maybe pray or you maybe don't pray, right? That's oftentimes, okay, let's just admit it. That's our, our Lutheran instinct. I'll pray for you. Hey, what's on TV this afternoon, right? Many years ago, uh, I, I met someone who said, no. You pray on the spot with someone if someone comes up to you and says hey i got this that or the other going on in my life i've got a struggle going on hey can i pray for you yeah that'd be great right now okay And so you are able to bear witness, to bear testimony to what your relationship with your Heavenly Father is like. Sometimes prayer is not just for God's ears. Sometimes prayer is for other people's ears as well so that they can learn about your relationship with God and how they might have a relationship and have a conversation with God. It doesn't have to be all this, this flowery language. It can be real, right? In fact, your prayers ought to be real with God. And this is what Jesus is praying. Hey, God! It's you and me. We're talking all the time. We're one, but I'm going to just—we're going to—we're going to do this prayer out loud for all these people here, so they can hear us talking. And I think you ought to be able to do that, just as I ought to be able to do that, as we pray, so that others can hear these prayers as well. Verse forty-three. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The 19th century Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon once preached on this passage, and he said, you know, it's a good thing that Jesus said, Lazarus, because if he had just said, come out, the whole cemetery would have just been emptied, right? (laughs) Isn't that great? I love that line. Lazarus! Everybody else, stay put! Right? That's what's going on. Lazarus, come on out! The dead man came out. His hands and his feet were wrapped in strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Notice he comes out with his grave clothes on. Jesus raises a dead man and brings him back to life, and he doesn't come out, you know, just looking all good. He comes out with grave clothes on. And I got to thinking, isn't that like some of us? God has brought us back to life, but we continue to walk around in our grave clothes. Our grave clothes that represent our shame, our sin, our brokenness. Oh, you've been resurrected, you've been brought out, but you're still wearing the grave clothes. And too often, as Christ followers, we wear the grave clothes. And so I just want to say to some of you this morning, take off the grave clothes. Stop acting like a dead person in your old way. Jesus has brought you to life, And one of the other things I love about this, this just one little sentence here, it's kind of nuanced. He doesn't look at Lazarus and say, Lazarus, take off your grave clothes. It says he looked to them, the church, the people, help him take off his grave clothes. And this is one of the purposes of the church. We have to help one another take off the grave clothes because we're not very good at doing it ourselves. Because if left to our own devices, we're just going to walk around. Jesus has resurrected us. Praise God, we are rescued. But we walk around on this earth with our grave clothes on and we need the church to help us take off our grave clothes. And this is one of the reasons why we gather in small groups so we can get together and talk about our grave clothes. We talk about the the struggles, the hurts, the shames uh, in our old way of living and just encouraging each other to take off the grave clothes. Start living like resurrected people instead of moping around in our grave clothes. Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, they believed in him. I'll bet they did, right? They saw the most amazing miracle ever. A dead guy, four days in the grave, walks out and he's like, hey, of course they believed in him. We hear this story and we think to ourselves, man, if I had just seen that miracle, I'd be so much stronger in my faith, right? Gosh, God, if you would just show up and do... That big, splashy miracle like you did with Lazarus. Man, that would be so neat. It would be so helpful, so encouraging in my faith. In fact, the people were just wild in their faith, and they were so strong in their faith, they just couldn't help themselves. A week or two later, as as Jesus is coming into to Jerusalem, they're, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I mean, that happens right after this. People are so filled with faith and encouragement. They're like, we believe in Jesus, right? And then, less than a week later, crucify him. Crucify him. People are so fickle in their belief, right? Peter, who had been three years with Jesus, don't know the guy. Never seen him before, not sure who he is, denies Jesus. And then three days later, Jesus rose from the grave, came out of the tomb like Lazarus. He's alive. And the people believed. Believe, unbelief, believe, unbelief, right? Over and over. Does that maybe it's just me? That, that's kind of my my spiritual life, right? Lord, I believe. Oh, man, I'm struggling to believe. I believe. Oh, I'm not sure if I believe. If that, if that feels anything like your spiritual life, you could be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Because that's their story. The people who just lived in this tension of belief and unbelief over and over and over. But the interesting thing is, after the resurrection, the people believed. And believed and believed. And the church went from just a handful of people to several hundred. And as Jesus showed his hands uh, and his feet to people, more and more people believed. The church exploded. And people were martyred for their faith, for the things in which they believed. Not just believed in, but actually believed. They trusted uh, in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And the church grew and exploded. And even skeptics today, they can say, you know, I don't really believe in the whole, um, you know, resurrection. But something happened. Something happened 2,000 years ago. Something extraordinary happened. And Jesus says, I came out of the tomb, I, I was resurrected. And all who place their trust, their belief in me, we'll have eternal life. A miracle. The greatest of all miracles. Pastor Andy Stanley says it like this. Any guy who can predict their own death and resurrection and can actually pull it off, I'm just doing whatever he says. Right? I like that. Because there's a lot of details in the, in, in, the, in the New Testament, a lot of stories, and we're like, I don't know. But at the end of the day, as Christ followers, any guy who can predict their own death and resurrection and actually pull it off, I'm doing whatever he says. Jesus says, I am the one through whom you can have eternal life, abund- abundant life, a full life. And you may not understand all the miracles. You may not understand all the details of the Gospels, the New Testament. But I'm inviting you to believe in just this one miracle, the resurrection. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this incredible story of of love, of relationship, of connection of your people. And God, the emotions were high on that day. Sadness, anger, hurt, and pain. But in the midst of all that, Lord, there's an element of hope, hope in you that you could do something. You could just show up and bring a dead man back to life. And God, we believe that the story of Lazarus is not just about some people that lived a long time ago, but that this is our story today. You take our guilt, our shame, our sin, and our brokenness, and you leave it in the tomb and you bring us back to life. So help us to believe. Help us to place all of our trust in you. In You alone. Because in the midst of all the chaos of life, we're putting all of our trust in you. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. prayer.